Hey there, Pastor Allen here. Thank you so much for checking out this message from Praise Assembly. Our prayer is that it is meaningful, purposeful, and that the Holy Spirit speaks to you personally through it. If you find it helpful, would you consider supporting Praise Assembly? Just go out to our website at praise.church and hit the Give Now button in order to support this and other resources we are making available. This message is a part of a series called Idols, Honoring the Giver to Better Enjoy the Gifts, in which we are discussing what it looks like to make sure that God is first in our hearts. May the Holy Spirit use this in your life. Last week we talked about phones. And if you didn't get it, or if you have no idea what the No Phone February Challenge looks like, uh, you can still sign up to participate. If you don't have any idea what that is, you probably do not receive text messages from praise, and you should find out why. Um, And if you do know what it is and haven't signed up, that's between you and the Lord. But if you do want to still sign up, it's not too late. And you can do that by just under the message notes on praise.fyi. Go to praise.fyi, swipe over to message notes over there on uh, message notes. Um, you will find the, um, the, the link right at the top of today's message for you to be able to um, participate um, in the No Phone February Challenge. Um, you were supposed to, I'm sure you know, but you were supposed to this last week log your screen time from the week, and I have had multiple conversations with people who said, what if we spend that first week running our screen time way up so that it is easier to cut the corresponding post-first week screen time? And to that, I would say, bravo, (laughs) bravo. That's why I like you. Um, We did have that same conversation at our house, but then the Holy Spirit convicted us. But I will say that I did not even feel a little bit bad this last week for every time I was watching a YouTube video or reading news all week long. I'm like soaking it up because I know that this week it begins. And I know it's not February yet, but I'm asking you to begin now. And so I guess you have a couple extra days. I know February is only 28 days, and you were like, oh, that's not too bad. Uh, Well, we're adding a few days to it, I guess. So let me quick give you an update on what it looks like as far as those who signed up so far. We have had 68 families that have signed up to participate of those level one. Uh, Casual Heroes, there were 22. Level two, Bravehearts, there were 26. Level three, the Digital Ninjas, there were 20. And there were three staff members. Got that wafer stuck in my throat. Today, we are talking about money. Money, 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 money. This is everybody's favorite Sunday when the pastor at church is talking about money. And so I'm so glad you are here. If you've not been to praise before, this is the perfect Sunday for you to be here because we are diving in. And you may have heard of No Phone February. Get ready for No Money March. (laughs) 
Let's go! Yeah! No Money March, we have three levels for you. The Bargain Hunter, the Thrifty Spartan, and the Cashless Crusader. Essentially, just don't pay your bills through the month of March and tell people it's a challenge. And as a prize, as a prize for the family who does this to the nines, we have some ramen noodles. Let's go! I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're not actually doing no money march. Some of you are like, what? I got that. I already don't pay my bills. I got that one in the bag. I got no money. That's going to be easy. No, we're not doing no money, Marge. <sighs> you guys. I do have a thing of ramen noodles here for whoever gets here first to get it. <laughs> Man's got mouths to feed. <laughs> I am convinced that everybody in their life at some point should eat ramen noodles, so... <laughs> There we go. There we go. <laughs> Some people have no idea that the people around you in church can hear what you say when I am preaching. And last Sunday, the people around you ratted you out. As soon as I said no phone February, like I had people come up, you should have heard what the people said about you. Oh my goodness. I would never repeat it. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Anyways, challenge isn't for everyone. It is for all the staff members. <laughs> but it's not for everybody, and I get that. 68 families, I am stoked about. I am stoked about 68 families saying, man, we just want to lean into this and see what this might look like for us. And so I'm excited to see where it all goes, um, and I believe God's going to do something in our families uh, our family has already had some incredible conversations about uh, the limits we need to put on things in our lives. And it hasn't always been easy, and it didn't, you know, we weren't all happy about it at first, but it, it's been good. It's been good, and I hope that that's been the case for you as well. We will have a challenge for our money today, but it won't be on the same level as the phone challenge because we really want to focus. And this is one thing in particular we want to be able to move forward with. So there will be a challenge. There's going to be a challenge for every bit of this series. One thing I said to somebody this week is when you feel challenged, know that it comes with a promise. Because the Holy Spirit would not challenge you to something without giving you the power and the ability to step into it. So anytime you feel as if the Holy Spirit is stepping on your toes, rejoice. Because he would not do that if he were not also planning on equipping you to that end. That'll preach. So, uh, today's title message is Source and Summit. Source and Summit. Let's talk about money for that. Let's turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we're going to dive right in. Before or while you're turning there to Luke chapter 12, I want to kind of set this up by reading a couple of verses just before. Most of what we're going to read today will be in Luke chapter 12, okay? So, but even as we're uh, diving in there, I want, it starts, or it starts, you can kind of understand what, what's happening in Jesus's life and his ministry if you back up a couple of chapters. Luke chapter 9 verse 51 says very clearly what is happening. 
9 verse 51 says, At the time, as the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to, oh, sorry, not even just that part. Verse 51 is enough. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He is headed to the cross. Actually, to be clear, I was talking to Dennis Rivera about this, and he corrected and said, no, he's not headed to the cross. What does it actually say? He is headed for his ascension. So for him, he is even looking through the cross to the point where he is going to leave and go to be with the Father. Okay, so... Now, to be clear, he is for the second half of Luke traveling to Jerusalem, right? So there's a whole lot of stuff that happens as he is headed to Jerusalem. And so we don't know if he's literally walking there, if he's walking around in circles as he's doing this, but he is set towards Jerusalem. That's where he's headed. He knows where this is going. And as part of that, he starts to have multiple conversations with his disciples. And if you go to Luke chapter 12, verse 1, he has one of those, or he starts one of those conversations. Now, again, this is important, maybe just as a little bit of a background as to what's actually happening. Verse 1, meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. So he's on his way to Jerusalem, and there is a massive crowd that begins to follow around him. So much so that it's like crowding in. There's somebody in your personal space, like you're not, in fact, the word that's stepping on one another sometimes is translated as trampling one another. Like this is serious crowding issues. And he turns to his disciples and he begins to talk to them about the cost of discipleship or cost of following Jesus. And so he starts that conversation and he's having that conversation. Now, before I get into what we're going to read today, I want to read the verse that I've mentioned or referred to multiple times as part of this series. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. As we're talking about idolatry, here's what it says. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. So that is a setup. We are talking about greed as an idolatry. And I've said this multiple times already through this series that a lot of times we have an itch and as we scratch that itch, we realize that there's a deeper issue, and the deeper issue is actually idolatry. And so, very clearly, Paul says it, and it says it also in Ephesians, that greed specifically is idolatry. It is a turning of worship away from God and towards the things of this world, okay? So Jesus is talking to them about the cost of following him. Um, you understand greed is idolatry. All of that's the setup, verse 13 of chapter 12. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Now remember the size of the crowd. This is thousands of people. And there among thousands of people, as Jesus is talking about the cost of discipleship, Someone steps out of the crowd or yells from out of the crowd, Hey, Jesus, please deal with this issue between my brother and me. This person thinks that the best place to have this conversation is in a public setting. So that would be as if I'm up here preaching. And at first, I mean, this is kind of rude, right? Like this is somebody... And maybe it was more acceptable then, don't know really, but imagine I'm preaching and someone steps up and says, just shouts out, Pastor, tell my husband 
to put the toilet seat down. How many of you wish I would say that? Nobody. Good job, gents. Okay, there was a hand over here. I see that hand. I see that hand. But imagine, like that's, this is going a certain way and somebody totally inappropriately steps in and says, deal with this issue. Now, in that day, the laws of inheritance were pretty clear. Firstborns got double. Everybody else got the shares of what were left. So if there's 10 kids, you divide it into 11 and give two to the first. If there's two, one gets two-thirds, the other gets a third, right? So the, the laws of inheritance were really very clear. And this doesn't tell us who's in the wrong here. How many, by the way, are firstborns here? Yeah, I would have thought so. <laughs> How many of you are the youngest in the family? You guys are the worst. How many of you are middle, middle kids like me? God bless you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, so firstborns, you would have had it good in ancient Israel. And for us, we don't necessarily understand as much within our culture. And there are other cultures represented in this church where the firstborn does mean something. For us, it, it doesn't mean quite as much. For them, inheritance-wise, they got twice what everybody else did. And, and so even in this situation, we don't know is this guy in the wrong? And he's like, man, I want half. Or is he totally in the right? And maybe his brother is taking all of it and saying, I want every bit of it. And he's just like, I, I want my share. I just want what's coming to me. I want one third. We don't really know. What we do know is Jesus replies, verse 13 or 14, friend, which is not, well, yeah. Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? This guy wants Jesus to be the judge. Like Judge Judy, right? Judge Jesus. I asked um, artificial intelligence to create for me a photorealistic image with image generation, right? Because this is the thing now, of Judge Jesus. This is what I got. not quite there, or there's something I don't understand about how to use it, okay? <laughs> so, this is what this guy wants him to be, is somebody who's handling small claims court. And Jesus said, I have not, don't take a picture of that, I don't want that, can we go to bed, something else, let's get rid of that off the screen. I don't want people to know about that, <laughs> like, <brrr>. not good, <laughs> I don't know what's going on over praise. Oh, man. But Jesus is like, I am not your judge. I will not arbitrate in this specific thing. And I don't, I don't, well, to be clear, Jesus will judge someday. John chapter 5 says that there will be a day when all of us will be judged. He will come back, and when he comes back, he will come back as judge. But here on this day, Jesus is not stepping in between these two because he is headed somewhere. He is not going to judge, but to be unfairly judged. He is going to take our sin on his shoulders and to die for us. And so instead in this issue and in saying, I'm not going to be the judge between you, he says, 
Let's deal instead with a deeper issue. And he goes to that deeper issue for this specific person. Verse 15. Then he said, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And again, we don't know if this guy's in the right or if he's in the wrong. We don't know any of that. What we do know is Jesus goes to a deeper lesson for this man. He may be 100% in the right. But it is possible to be 100% in the right and still be wrong. And in this situation, for whatever reason, Jesus goes to a deeper issue. Right? He doesn't judge on whether or not the guy is right or wrong in his request. Instead, he warns him about greed or idolatry within his own heart. And here's the thing. Everybody wants Jesus to fix their problem. And often when we come to him asking him to fix the problem, he begins right here. And that may not be the only problem but it is a part of the problem. And whether or not he fixes the bigger issue around, he will always deal with this. Because often, there is a problem here. So if you want Jesus to move in your family, or you want Jesus to move in your marriage, or you want Jesus to move in your job, or you want Jesus to just Move and change your life. You need to start here. And begin by saying, God, begin here. Begin in me. Start in my own heart. And he may fix, and he may work in the larger, and he will be working. But our desire should always be, whether we're 100% right or wrong, begin in me, oh God. Start in my heart Do something in me first before I go anywhere else and ask for anything else to be done. Begin here, oh God. Begin in me. And if you change the heart, often you will change the family. Often you will change the marriage. Often you will change the job situation. Most of the time you will change the life. But begin here. And that's what Jesus does. And often the specific struggle you have, the battle you're fighting is maybe not the right battle. Maybe often the issue is not the battle external, but the battle internal. So that's what he does here. Whether the guy's issue is right or wrong or whether he's, doesn't matter. Jesus doesn't even say that this guy is dealing with greed. He just says to him, guard against greed. So be on your guard against this. Be aware that this could be a path that leads to. He doesn't say that this guy's doing anything wrong, but he is saying be introspective for a moment. And focus on your own heart. And often that's exactly what Jesus will do. May the Holy Spirit speak that deeply to every single one of our hearts today. But then he says, life is not measured by how much you own. What Jesus does not say is, life is not measured. He says, it's not measured by how much you own. Life is measured. How do you measure a life? Why do you measure a life? Well, now you're getting to the heart of this issue. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 9, and I'm just going to flip there real quick. You don't need to flip over there because I'm going to come right back. What do people really, by the way, this passage here in, in Luke chapter 12 uh, really, really kind of points to Ecclesiastes, a big chunk of it. What do people really get for all their hard work? 
I've seen the burden God has placed on us all. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. This goes to the heart, the basic understanding I have of theology of how creation works. That is this. Everything works in light of eternity, especially the human heart. If you want to understand what makes Alan tick or what I think about everything, it is this. God has planted eternity in the hearts of man. And even though we don't see it all or fully understand it, it's there and it affects everything. Many of our deepest desires and fears and anxieties and emotions are anchored in eternity. This is what I believe deeply, deeply believe. And I believe that our lives will be measured. That's what scripture says. Our lives will be measured. Now, if your life is going to be measured, and whether you see it or not, you know it, you feel it, what is the most natural thing to do your entire life? Try to measure up. Our lives will be measured. We will stand before a judge. And what if, as a result, all of us have an innate desire for significance. We all are asking, am I significant? Here's one of the ways that greed is idolatry. Money as a source of significance is idolatry. If you find your significance in money, that is when it becomes idolatry. I am significant because of this account, or that account, or this statement. That is the moment that it steps from health and goodness and wholeness into idolatry. And this is, the thing about greed is that greed is the most subtle of the idolatries, or at least one of, right? Like, I've never had somebody come to me and say, Alan, I am dealing with greed, like, this isn't the thing we show off to the guests. Like, this is the idolatry that's hidden underneath the floorboard, not put out on the mantle. When the pastor comes over, you don't talk about whether or not there's greed. We don't bring this up in conversation. Man, the other day I was feeling so greedy. No, we don't. It's hidden. And instead of using the word greedy, here's what we say. I just need a little more. Just a little more. Just a little more of this, just a little bit more of that, just a little bit more over here, just a little bit more there. But all of that is at its core the same thing, greed. I just want a little more. doesn't matter whatever level you're at, there is always just a little more. There's always going to be a little more. Because you move. You get a little more financially. You move to a nicer neighborhood. And what do you find there? People with a little more. It's just how that works. So as you move up, you find people who are still up, and you always can have a little bit more. And so that's why seeking significance through money will always leave us wanting more. See, our significance is being enough. It's being measured up to the measure that God will use. And if that is and going to happen, and inherently we feel that innately deep in our hearts, we feel a need to measure up, then many of us will 
measure up based on the things that we own, and that is the moment it becomes idolatry. But let's be clear that this is not just about money. This works everywhere. Ministry can be idolatry. If we find our source of significance in it, that's the moment it becomes idolatry. If we say, if only I was just this. Beauty can be idolatry if our significance is found in beauty. If only I was. Or a person can be idolatry if the source of your significance is found in that person. What makes you significant? What makes you of value? What makes you worth it? What makes you enough? If the answer to that is anything other than Jesus Christ and him alone, then something is out of alignment in your heart. Our lives are measured, but money is the wrong ruler. Because the moment you make money a ruler, it becomes your ruler. And it will own every bit of your soul. And you will never, ever have enough. There's always just a little more. So Jesus keeps talking, and this, he decides to tell this guy a story, or even the thousands along with him. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do now? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and all my other goods. I don't have enough room. I need more room. This is a rough situation to have. There's a couple of things I notice in this story. Number one, how many times the guy says I or my? Six eyes, five mys, if you're wondering. This guy talks about himself a lot. This is, for him, about significance. I, my, over and over. You'll read it, you'll see it, you'll notice as well. The second thing is he has a problem. And how you look at your problem says a lot about what's going on inside of here, right? So here's his problem. He has more crops than he has place to store his crops. That's the issue. There's two ways to view that. Number one, I don't have enough room. That's the direction he chooses. I need more. I need more room. I need more of this to belong to me. There's a second way to view this, though. He could view it as, I have too many crops. No one ever does that. <laughs> like, I've never had someone come to me and say, Pastor, I am struggling. I have too much money. And just once, just once, I would love for that to happen. Because that's the problem I can fix in 10 seconds. Oh, Lord, may it be. I would love to counsel someone who comes to me and says, I have too much money. But it never happens. And here's the thing. For this guy, as he approaches this problem, he has this choice. And if he had chosen... The option of getting rid of some of the crops that he doesn't have room for, that would have been way easier, way less effort, way less energy, way less focus than tearing down his barns and building bigger ones. Do you see this? This would be so much easier. And obviously, up until now, the crops had been enough for this guy to live on. He was okay. He had capacity up to this point. He has a bumper crop and that puts him in a tough situation where he decides the 
One of two paths. And there were others as well, but you can see those two most obviously. Verse 19. So he says, I'm going to build better, or better barns. And he says, and I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now before we go any further, let me tell you what the story isn't about. This is not a story about why you shouldn't save. Um, early in my faith journey, that's exactly what I thought the story was about. Don't save. Thankfully, Dave Ramsey set me straight on that. So now we have 529s and 403Bs and Roth IRAs and regular old savings accounts, and we save. We save a very specific percentage of our income. And the reason why is because there will come a day of trouble, and there are enough verses in the Bible that say things like, only a fool spends all that he makes. Or, look at the ant, you moron, or something like that, I think. <laughs> look at the ant. He stores up during the summer for the winter. There will come a rough moment. This is about something far deeper than just saving. Okay? And in the New Living Translation, I think it doesn't fully get it. Like, the New Living Translation is trying to make it understandable for people in 2023. And I get that, and I love it, and that's why I use it. But the ESV says something that is actually closer to reality, and the problem is we don't understand what it means. In the ESV it says, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Soul, I will say to my soul, I will say to my inner person, I will talk to myself, my inner person. I don't know if you do that. Well, actually, I do know what you do. You do that. Whether you know it or not, you do it. I know because I do it. I say things to my soul all the time. No, I don't say, soul, you have enough. But subtly, when I look at those bank accounts, I am saying something to my soul. Soul, you have enough. Soul, you are enough. Soul, you do measure up. And that's not the only way we do it with accounts, but we are regularly saying things to our soul. And the moment that money becomes a source of significance is the moment it becomes idolatry. But the moment when money becomes a source of security, it also becomes idolatry. Now, how do I know these things? Because our significance and our security was made to be met in Jesus Christ. And so the moment that money becomes a source of security. Now, we read this story and we're like, Jesus, get him. Get that rich fool. Because in our culture especially, we are all about getting the rich people. We don't like them. We don't want them. But when I read this story, I don't see a rich fool. That's just what we call the story. I see an upper middle class fool. Because that's what I read in the story. So when you read this story, don't go, get them, Jesus. He's talking about us. And you might be like, I'm not rich, Alan. Go ahead and text me that on your $1,000 iPhone. <laughs> we are much richer than we think. And this guy has a bumper crop one year. And it's so much for him to be set, he says. 
But each and every one of us, whether we have a bumper crop or whatever, we are looking to be secure. We deeply desire to be secure because, again, eternity is in our hearts. And we want security, and we want security, and we want security. But that source of security was meant to be met in faith in Jesus Christ. There is real stuff happening inside of here. Real stuff. And this real stuff produces a need to be safe, a need to be, a need to have, a need for security. But the moment I seek that security in anything other than Jesus Christ is the moment I move into idolatry. And let's be clear, I even believe, I'll say this, might make you mad, I don't care. I even believe the desire for more is not bad. I believe it's not wrong to want more. You and I were made to want more. Wanting more is the more, most perfect thing for us to do. We were made for more. We were made to crave but we were made to want more of him and his presence, his perfection. We were made to crave the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We were made to press more and more into knowing Jesus Christ. We want more because we were made for more. And the moment that that more gets turned to something else, anything else, person, money, stuff, is the moment that it becomes idolatry, and it's also the moment where the more is not met. Wanting more is never met, but in Jesus. Verse 19. He says, and I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, soul, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night, and then who will get everything you have worked for. He is not as secure as he thought. The other day, somebody was wandering around our house. If you don't know, um, my house is on a compound with several other houses. It's not like a weird compound. We don't have razor wire, though I'm thinking about it. Um, my in-laws live 50 yards from me, which is not as bad as you might think. There are trees <laughs> and shades on the windows. Um, and so, <laughs> but I love it. We love it. We love having family right nearby. And there's three houses total. The two of them belong to Phil and Lynette. One belongs to us because we have enough. And um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> One of them's a rental, and there's a guy who lives in there named Dustin. Great guy. We love him. Uh, pretty much part of the family at this point. But the other day, somebody comes wandering around and comes onto the property right, and starts looking in the Farron's house, like looking in his windows. It shows up on, we have so many cameras, which used to be weird, but now everybody's got cameras, like it's just the thing that everybody does. So we have cameras everywhere, and so we see the guy walking down the road and walking down the driveway, and then we see him walking up to the house and looking in the windows and all of that stuff. And so I, I get told about this, I'm right in the middle of a meeting, and so I wasn't able to step out and do anything about it, or I don't know that I would have anyways, but I was driving home and and Liz waited for me at the, at the because we don't know where the guy goes. He is wandering around for a bit, and then he's gone. And so we don't know if he's in one of our houses. Like, we don't really know. And so I go, I go home, and, and so I tell Liz, you hang back. I'll go, I'll go in first, and it'll be great, right? So I pull into the garage, and then I decide, let's do a circle of the house, right? So I walk around back, and then I come back inside, and I walk. And by the time I had come back into the garage, 
my wife had pulled in. She's sitting in the car with the kids. And so I get up and I go out and I go inside the house because, you know, of course, I want to make sure everything's secure. And I was planning on going to one of the safes, you know, that I don't know what would be in that safe. <laughs> but there was several safes that I could have gone to in the house. And anyways, that's not important. Anyways, uh, so I walk in and the guy comes walking up the stairs. My heart explodes. And I look closer, and it's Liz. <laughs> I was so mad. I was so mad. Because you have no idea what was happening inside of me. She was waiting in the car, but we have really dark windows on our car, which may not be illegal or may be illegal. I don't know, but it was actually Liz. It took me like 10 minutes to calm back down, right? <laughs> Wanting things secure is fine. Doing things in order to make sure that it's secure. But there are things that we do that are not meant for us to do, that are supposed to be by faith. So some people who like to save, let's call them stingy. Some people who love to save look at their spouse and say, man, you spend so much. You spend so much. And, and I save because that's what the Bible says to do, right? Except what is this story about? This story is about somebody who is saving and saving and saving. Stingy people spend too. They are spending all of their income on their need to be secure. But this guy says, I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Be satisfied. Eat, drink, and be merry. Money as a source of satisfaction is idolatry. We have a deep need to be satisfied in Jesus Christ. And anything we replace that with will never satisfy. I remember when I was in high school, I wasted my high school years because I wanted so bad more than anything else to have people like me. I ruined my high school years because I wanted that so bad and it was never satisfied. No matter how high I climbed or how cool I was, it was never e enough. And God blessed me with a bald head. And I never had to worry about it again. <laughs> we have a deep need for satisfaction that was made to be met in Jesus Christ. If you hope to be satisfied to meet that deep ache of the soul for the Lord, you will always want more. That's what Ecclesiastes says. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Verse 21. Yes, a person is a fool who stores up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Money is the source of anything is idolatry. Money is the source of your life is idolatry. Why? Because Jesus is our source. We put it on the wall out there for a reason. Jesus is intended to be our source. He has provided all of the things we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has saved us. Money is not our source. It is a resource. It is a resource, something that is meant to be used. Jesus is the source. Recommit to that. Jesus is the source. But two, money as the summit of our life is also idolatry. 
Because you and I were made more than anything else to press into knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior. If you are stretching for more, if you think the answer is more, it isn't. The only place where the answer is more is when it's him. Jesus is the summit of our faith. Knowing him by the power of the Holy Spirit, that is the thing we ought to stretch for. And again, this reaches so far beyond money. This reaches to every area of our lives. If you want to talk about the larger picture, I hate that all three of them are S's, but I'm telling you, these are the big three. Significance, safety, and satisfaction. All three of those were meant to be met by faith in Jesus Christ. And if we seek to scratch that itch with anything other than him, we will never get there. Because that is idolatry and it will consume us. So this applies beyond money. And we're not doing no money march. <laughs> like, we're not. And we, I, I, we would be hard pressed. Like, I mean, some of you really were looking forward for a moment to not having to pay your bills in March. But you can go month of February without a phone. I'm not saying you need to. I'm just saying you could. You just don't know it. But it's no wonder that God asks us for the first fruits. It's no wonder that a God asks us for that first 10%. Before anything else, before generosity, before anything else, he says, you trust me with the first bit. Because then that puts everything into alignment. And this church tithes. On an average, in a month, we have 315 tithing households in this church. Not always the same, but on average, there's 315 houses. I don't know if it's the full tithe. I don't know any of that. What I do know is this church tithes. This church gives. This church is generous and gives to its community. I know that. And I know that God blesses that. Because when things are in alignment in our hearts and are in alignment in our lives then there is opportunity for him to pour out blessings. So let me give you a challenge then. Number one, this week, answer two questions. Two questions this week. Number one, what are your most central expenses? You may know that off the top of your head already. You may use a budgeting software, Liz and I do. We love it. If you're asking what it is, it's called YNAB. Y-N-A-B, you need a budget. It's made by the Mormons. You need a budget. Like the Mormon Dave Ramsey is the guy who came up with this, and it's way better than Dame Ramsey's stuff. His every dollar, pfft, it's terrible. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> but you may know what those central expenses are already. You may not. Um, but look at them. Write them down again. Say, these are the ones that we just cannot get away from. These are the ones that if it came down to it, these would be the last to cut. Right? What are those central, central expenses? Number two, what percentage of your income are they? What percentage of your income are they? And, and I know I'm speaking this to a tithing church. Let me add, commit to tithing for 2024. The full thing. And I'm going to say 10%. And, and the reason why I'm going to say that is that's what I see in Scripture. There's some people who say that's actually 22% if you add it up properly. But I'm not good at math, so I'm just going to go with 10. 
plus 22 would be real hard. Um, <laughs> but commit. Say, I'm going to do this. And see what happens first in your own heart, second in your family, and third in your finances. Because I can guarantee you God will do something. He will do something. Okay? Let me give you one more challenge. Commit to saving for the future. This one won't be on the screen. But if you are not saving, if you are not paying attention to what the ants do, you should. Cool? So there's a challenge for this week. Big part of what Paul does in 2 Corinthians is he takes up an offering. And as he's taking up that offering, he says, man, I could just tell you, because I'm the apostle that was a part of the, uh, of the planting of this church, and I could just tell you to do what I say. But he says, no, I'm not going to do that. Instead, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he says to them, you know that the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Let me say that again. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Jesus had everything. And he could have stayed in heaven with everything. But he wanted to make you and me his treasure. That's what 1 Peter chapter 2 says. He wanted to make you and me his treasure. And so he came in order to make us his treasure. So he gave up everything to buy you and me. That's why the significance the security and the satisfaction that you and I are seeking deeply, inherently, innately is met to be met in him. You are enough. You do measure up in Jesus Christ. You are secure in Jesus Christ. And you can be totally satisfied in Jesus Christ. Because he makes us rich. By his poverty, he has made us rich. And that dull ache that says, are you enough? Do you measure up that innate desire to be enough is met in Jesus if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ? And if you haven't, then that gaping hole that you feel is there for a reason. Jesus is enough. He's the only more that will satisfy. So that's the good news. Bad news is, your life will be measured. That's why you're always wondering, do I measure up? Because we know there's a measuring coming. The Bible says very clearly there is a measuring. The Bible also says very clearly that we all kind of fall short on our own. We all fall short. So that work to get more and more or do more or more and be more or more will all fall short because it's never enough. Except in Jesus. Except in Jesus. That's the good news. Okay? So today you can accept that. You can accept that. You can receive it. It's just a by faith thing. 
You believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. You confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord and you can be saved. Very clearly. And all that dread you feel all the time, the dread of not enough or the dread of death or the dread of failure or the dread of insignificance, all of that can be gone as well. That dread, if you turn to the one who became poor so that you might be rich, can be gone. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do.